0: I you know, we spend a lot of our education being taught how to avoid unplanned pregnancy, but I don't think enough time is actually spent on understanding our fertility.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Wow, the podcast that will help you navigate your way through the world of adulthood and the uncontrollable forces of womanhood. I'm Georgina Beasley, your host, and in today's episode, I sit down to talk to Dr. Alice Huang. Alice is an IVF and fertility expert and she is here to debunk the many myths that surround fertility. We talk about contraception, endometriosis, pursuing a career in your 30s and how your fertility plays a role in all of these. If you enjoy today's episode please remember to subscribe, leave a review, share it with your friends and if you haven't already come join our community on Instagram at the wow Podcast underscore. Welcome to the WOW! Podcast, Alice. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. We start the podcast off by asking all of our guests the same question, and that is if you would share with us a little
0: bit about yourself. Um, well, I, I'm a general gynecologist, uh, so that means a medical specialist in women's health. I'm also a fertility specialist, and I specialize in fertility treatments such as IVF and egg freezing.
1: Did you always want to get into fertility treatments and gynecology when you were growing up, or did you have a passion to
0: maybe pursue something else when you are little? <laughs> no, it, 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 I had a few other aspirations when I was young. Um, when I was in grade one, I um, remember I wanted to be a bus driver so I can drive all the kids to school. Uh, in primary school, I wanted to be a school teacher. And it was only really about grade six uh, when we started doing biology in school and I found it just so fascinating and that's when I knew I wanted to be a doctor.
1: And so how did you end up falling into the profession of becoming a gynecologist and specializing in IVF and
0: fertility treatments? Oh, that's that's a, a much longer story, actually. So <laughs> um, in high school, I knew I, w- I wanted to be a doctor. So I applied for medical school after I graduated. And I grew up in Brisbane. So at the time, medicine was post-grad. Uh, I was very impatient. I knew I wanted to be a doctor as soon as possible. Uh, so I applied interstate and um, I started six years of medical school in Melbourne. And I uh, fell in love with the food culture here and decided to stay for my residency in the hospital. And during my hospital stay, I found that the obstetricians and gynecologists in the hospital, even though they were just so busy, they always took the time to talk to the junior staff like me. And they were always just so nice. So I decided that I wanted to be one of them. So I started the my six years of obstetrics and gynecology training. And during that six years, I looked at all the subspecialties, and it was very hard to choose. Uh, it's a little bit embarrassing to admit that um, I chose fertility. Uh, medicine because the fertility team in the hospital were the best dressed um, medical team in the hospital. Um, the, <laughs> well, the other teams were almost always in scrubs, in surgical scrubs. So like the ones mm-hmm. you see on TV because they need to. we need to pop in and out of um, labour wards and um, operating theatres. But the, I remember the fertility team, they were always immaculately groomed and you know, very well dressed. I just thought, I want to be one of them. <laughs> so when I finished my general ONG training. I did three years of subspecialized training in fertility medicine.
1: Wow, it's such a long process to get where you are. It's quite incredible. And I love that reason for choosing it. <laughs> I mean, you've got to be honest, but I think that's so like, it happens to the best of us, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm really looking forward to today's conversation, Alice, because I've realized I'm only young and I'm young in my twenties, but there seems to be no space for a fertility conversations around young women it can be something that can be a little bit daunting because I guess nowadays as we become more progressive and women are able to go out and achieve whatever they want to achieve in life uh, we can start pursuing our careers and focusing on other things rather than having to settle down and have children at you know the ripe young age of 20. So our fertility journeys are looking so different to what they did maybe 50, 60 years ago, but there doesn't seem to be that space where there's dialogue, education or understanding around the shift in our fertility journeys and how that might look a little bit different now that we are wanting to go out and pursue these amazing opportunities that the world gives us. So I'm really looking forward to getting into the nitty-gritty of all these details today. And to start off, I would really like if you could please explain to us how our basic fertility journey functions.
0: Absolutely. Um, I completely agree with what you said. And, um, you know, we spend a lot of our education being taught how to avoid unplanned pregnancy, but I don't think enough time is actually spent on understanding our fertility. So I certainly think that's very... very true. So I'll start off very basic from a fertility point of view. Uh, To fall pregnant, we need an egg from the woman and a sperm from a man and a uterus to carry a pregnancy. Uh, So I'll start with the eggs first. So eggs are located inside the ovaries And all of our eggs were formed while we were still in our mother's uterus. And in fact, we actually reached the maximum number of eggs that we will ever have in the second trimester inside our mother's uterus. And that's around about 4 million eggs in total. 4 million. Uh, After we start reaching, uh, after we reach the peak number of eggs, we start losing them. Uh, So the fate of most of our eggs is that um, we will lose them and they will never reach maturity and they will never get used. By the time we reach puberty, uh, we will only have around 400,000 eggs left. So what that means is that in fact, we've lost 90% of the 4 million eggs that we had while we were inside our mother's uterus by the time we reach puberty. So we only have 10% left. And then from puberty, Typically, we release one mature egg each month, and that's called ovulation. But at the same time, we lose an average of 20 mature eggs in that same month. So the fate of majority of our eggs is to be lost. And we will continue to lose eggs throughout our lives, whether we have periods or don't have periods, whether we have long cycles or short cycles, whether we are pregnant, whether we're breastfeeding, on the pill, off the pill, we will continue to lose eggs throughout our lives. And when we finish or when we run out of eggs, we reach menopause. So that's our reproductive lifespan. So falling pregnant, we do not require a lot of eggs. We only need one, the one good egg. And that's dependent on egg quality. Uh, So if you remember that all our eggs were formed before we were born. So the older we are, the longer these eggs have been around, and the longer that they've been sitting on the shelf, so to speak. Uh, So the longer they've been sitting on the shelf, the higher the chance of degradation of quality. So constant here is that quantity of eggs decreased with age. And the quality of eggs decreased with age after a certain age. And this is why it gets harder to fall pregnant when we are older. So that's from an age perspective, for uh, our so eggs perspective. So from a sperm perspective, it's very different. Um, men produce new sperm throughout their lives. So the degradation of sperm quality is not as profound in men until much, much later in life. Uh, then, the third um, thing we need to, to have pre- uh, to fall pregnant is a uterus to hold the pregnancy. Um, the one good egg and the one good sperm need to get together, and that's called fertilization. And the resulting fertilized eggs will need to implant inside the uterus uh, so it can establish itself as a pregnancy. So if we have diseases inside the uterus like um, lumps and bumps like polyps or fibroids or if we have endometriosis in the pelvis, uh, that can be, get harder to fall pregnant because the fertilised eggs will find it harder to implant.
1: Could you please explain to our listeners, as at a looking at, at an angle of age, when are women most fertile? So
0: generally speaking, women, we reach peak fertility around the mid-20s. Um, We know our egg quality will start to decline in our early 30s, and there is an observable decrease in the fertility by the time we reach our mid-30s, and a dramatic decrease after 40s. And this is um, much earlier in men. So generally speaking, in men, we see that the observed effects on the fertility from age start after mid-40s.
1: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Isn't it so strange how the bodies just function so completely different? (laughs) It's so fascinating. And one thing that I think is really a concern for a lot of young women is contraception and how that plays an effect on fertility. I think, think there's a lot of worry out there that contraception can affect your fertility health. Is this true?
0: Ah, uh, generally not. No, so very reassuringly, um, it does depend on the woman and the type of contraception, but generally no, unless it's a permanent contraception like tying the fallopian tubes or something like that. If we're talking about reversible hormone contraception, so that's like the pill or the rod, like the implanton or an intrauterine device like um, Marina or um Kyleena, or um a vaginal ring called the NuvaRing, they they don't have irreversible long-term adverse effects on fertility after you stop them, except for the passage of time. So what that means is that the longer you've been on a contraception, the older you will be when you stop the contraception and potentially less um, fertile because of advancing age. Um, There's one exception that I can think of um, with contraception. It's the Depo-Provera. Uh, So that's a three-monthly injection that some women get from their GP. It's it's a very effective contraception. Uh, But once you stop the injection, it can take up to 18 months after the last injection uh, before it completely wears off, before they return to regular cycles and natural ovulation. So after it wears off, there is no adverse effect on fertility except, once again, the passage of time.
1: Okay, interesting. That's very reassuring, I must say. Moving on to some of our listener questions, we've had uh, three different listeners send in a couple of questions that they want answered from you today, Alice. The first one is from Isabel, and Isabel would like to know how do you know if you're fertile or not, and what is the process that you can undertake to find out?
0: Yeah, so look, it's it's a very common question that I get from patients that come and see me. They just want to, you know, uh, some of them maybe in a relationship. Um, they're not sure when they want to have children. They're a little bit concerned about delayed for d- delaying their fertility and they just want to have some tests to see if they are fertile, if in fact they can have children or how long can they wait before they can have children. And unfortunately, my answer will always be, we don't know. Uh, the reality is there is no true test for fertility. The only true test of fertility is a baby. So you actually have to start trying to fall pregnant before we know if you're fertile or not. Um, But we do have tests to um, look for things that may stop you from falling pregnant. So tests that tells us you're not ovulating or tests that tells us that there are lumps and bumps inside the uterus or your pelvis. Um, Tests that we can see if you have endometriosis or blocked tubes. So we do have tests to tell us if there's anything that can stop you from falling pregnant, but we don't actually have tests that can tell us if you can fall pregnant or not. So that's a very subtle difference. Um, The only true test of fertility is a baby.
1: Okay. (laughs) And Sarah would like to know, uh, another thing that she's heard is that antidepressants could affect fertility. Is this true?
0: Um, Yes and no. It does depend on the medication. So some can. And some may not from a fertility point of view. Um, and some can also affect the pregnancy or can affect the baby um, once baby's out from withdrawal symptoms and things like that. So um, from an antidepressants point, point of view, it's best that you speak to a fertility specialist or GP or um, psychiatrist that prescribes the medication to have a chat about the options. Um, the the principle should be that we need to weigh up the benefits of being on the antidepressants, so you don't have depressive symptoms during pregnancy, versus the potential risks um, to the pregnancy.
1: Mm-hmm. And when it comes to fertility, how do how does antidepressants maybe affect our fertility
0: health? Yeah, um, much more subtler. So sometimes antidepressants can affect libido. Um, sometimes it can affect ovulation, um, but majority of the time um, we, are, uh, we are quite comfortable in um, women staying on their um, antidepressants when they're trying to fall pregnant, um, especially if the specialists are happy with that.
1: Mm, okay. Lastly, Marina would like to know: Does your fertility health matter so much if you're not looking at having kids? <laughs>
0: um, I do think so. Yes, um, I think that looking after our fertility health is the same as looking after our gynecological health, and and part of looking after part of looking after ourselves and our general health is looking after our gynecological health. So. Even if we don't want kids, we should still look after our own general health. And what's generally good for our health is generally good for our fertility health as well. So how can we,
1: if we currently are young and we're looking at pursuing a career and we don't know if we're fertile or not, how can we feel safe moving forward to know that down the track it's going to be okay when we want to eventually start a family?
0: I don't think yes I I really don't think there's an answer to that and that that's the difficulty <laughs> isn't it I mean look there's nothing wrong with wanting to pursue a career and a family mm. uh, but I think as women and or well, men as well I guess um time is our major enemy so you know often if in our careers there can be a critical timing involved in in pursuing the right opportunities so to us you know sometimes for lack of a better term it can't wait Um, But with fertility, as I explained, we're also losing our egg quantity and quality constantly. Uh, So the longer we wait, the more likely we can also miss out on having children. So it can't wait forever either. Um, I, I think that having, as you sort of mentioned before, having a fertility conversation with ourselves is very important. And that's a very good start for all women to sort of plan that, plan to have that fertility conversation with themselves. And that really does help in planning the life that we want to live. Um, so, a fertility conversation to me means asking myself questions like, "Do I want children or don't I want children? How many children I would like to have? When would I want to have children? Or um, if I don't have someone to have children with, uh, would I look at other options um, like single parenthood or donor sperm or fostering, adoption, etc. Um, from just from personal experience, I found planning. And working backwards from a date um, was quite helpful in helping me sort of achieve that that um, peace in my mind that I have thought about fertility and I have made an informed decision. Um, so this was back in my general ONG training when I was 30 years old. And um, I was in the hospitals. I was surrounded by women giving birth to children every day. Um, and I was very single at the time. And that's all I could think about (laughs) having children. Everyone around me is having children. Um, And I knew I wanted to have children. I I wanted two children eventually. And um, I also knew that I wanted to finish training as soon as possible. And I want to start up my own clinic as soon as possible. And I want to be working as a specialist as soon as possible. Um, And then thinking, thinking forward, I knew that it does take time to try for pregnancy. It does take time to stay pregnant. It takes time um, usually to wait until the baby's at least onto uh, is on, onto solid foods before thinking about a second baby. Um, so for my calculations, probably about an average of two years between each kids. Um, I knew that ideally I, I would like not to be any older than 38 years old when I have my last, my second child, just, just because I know that after that it does get much harder to fall pregnant because of age and so if i'm 38 i take two years away for my first child so that would be 36 and you know um I would take another year away for trying to fall pregnant. So that's 35. And then I take another extra year away just 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 in case for sort of procrastination. And I want to get my last holiday in. I want to get my financial planning right. I want to, you know, buy a house, um, things like that. So I end up at the age of um uh, 34. And so at that time, I made a deal with myself. I just thought, all right, if by the time I get to 34 years old and um, um, uh, I am with someone and I'm ready to have a baby, that's when I'm going to start. If I'm with someone and um, I'm not quite ready to have a baby for various reasons, then I will freeze my eggs. So I have a, a, an option in the future. If by the time I get 34, if I'm not with someone, I will look into donor sperm. And so. So I work sort of backwards, basically, from the age that I like to be for my last baby. I take two years away for any additional baby, and then another two years on top of that for trying to fall pregnant and procrastinating, etc., to arrive at the age where I like to take action. So that's my action age. And then I would ask myself, what action am I prepared to take? You know, like donor sperm or egg freezing. And that worked quite well for me. I'm not so naive to think that the musings of a 30-year-old will, you know, set in concrete the plans for the rest of my life. Decisions can change. Um, But what that exercise or what that fertility conversation did for me was that it took away the panic that came with the unknown and kind of gave myself some permission to not worry about it until my timeline is up. And more importantly, I knew that that timeline was a reasonable sort of, has reasonable parameters within natural fertility, as in I'm not, I'm thinking I'm going to have a baby very easily in my 40s. And then after that, after I've had that conversation, whether it was just good luck or it was because I was in a very different frame of mind, um, I met my husband 20, uh, two years later and then had my first child at 35 years old. So I did not need to look into donor sperm. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It all worked out in the end anyway. <laughs> it, it can. <laughs> so so answer your question, I, I don't really think there's a sort of one-size-fits-all when it comes to so thinking about pursuing family, pursuing you know career. I don't think there's a right or wrong. Um, but I do think that every woman should have an honest fertility conversation with themselves, and you can do that by yourself over a cup of tea. You can do that with your friends and family. You can do that with your GP, a fertility specialist, if you need to. Just just to have that conversation, often that can you know come up with a timeline, and that can often help you sort of move forward with your life with sort of less regrets and you know less less burden on your mind.
1: Mm. now some people's timeline may look a little bit different if they're suffering with illnesses you've touched on a few of those before um, one of which being endometriosis something I suffer with but could you please go through uh, some of the illnesses that women may face and how they may affect fertility and the how the process may differ for them
0: Hmm. so Um, when we look at fertility and illnesses, I sort of look at it in different compartments. I'll start with anything that can affect the quality of eggs because our fertility is determined by the quality of eggs. So the most common thing that can affect the quality of our eggs is age. That is the most common. Other things will be things like toxic agents, like chemotherapy for cancers, um, or ionizing radiation. Uh, some women can have autoimmune diseases, so diseases of the immune system where they attack their own body that can often damage um, eggs as well. And very, very rarely, sometimes some certain nutritional or micronutrient deficiencies can also decrease quality of eggs. Then we can think of diseases or pathology uh, that can stop the egg and the sperm from meeting, uh, like a blockage um, in the pathway where they meet, so inside the fallopian tubes. And fallopian tubes can be damaged by infection, like sexually transmitted infections, uh, chlamydia and gonorrhea. Uh, inflammation diseases like endometriosis, um, adhesions or scarring from previous operations can also damage the fallopian tubes. And then finally, anything that can impair the ability of the fertilized eggs from implanting and establishing itself inside the uterus. Uh, to things like lumps and bumps inside the uterus, so their polyps and fibroids that can be seen on ultrasound. Uh, things like structural abnormalities that some women are born with. Um, and pelvic and systemic factors uh, like endometriosis or sort of endocrinological disorders can all decrease implantation rate. And so, you know, if we think about from that compartment, you know, if there's anything that's suspicious that comes up in history, like pain or um, pain with periods, pain with uh, intercourse, um, other systemic symptoms, um, then, you know, first thing to do is just see your GP and um, have a um, uh, uh, full gap, uh, or gynecologist to have the test. Um, so. If as I mentioned before, there are no tests to see if you can fall pregnant, but there's certainly a lot of tests that we can look for to see if there are these, these illnesses or pathologies that can impact our ability to fall pregnant.
1: So if you do have one of the diseases um, or illnesses that you mentioned, how should, should we look at our fertility health and, or fertility journeys in a different way? Should we be more cautious? Are we at higher risk to be waiting longer into our 30s to fall pregnant?
0: Um, I think yes and no, um, Certainly, the women with these illnesses um, are at a high risk of infertility, difficulty falling pregnant. Um, but in the same token, you know, I know uh, women with um, endometriosis, for example, who are fall pregnant very easily at the age of 38. And I know women with endometriosis who have difficulty falling pregnant in their mid 20s. So we really don't know about fertility until you try. So, my feeling is. My advice is that women with or without the illness, we well, should still hold the same principles. So the principle is that I think every woman deserves a fertility conversation with themselves so they have a bit of an idea of what they want out of their life, so they can make an informed decision not too late in their lives. And once I have done that, my general advice, whether you have these illnesses or when you that you don't have these illnesses because sometimes we have them we don't even know about it, um, general principle should be that, you know, if we are not ready to have children, my feelings, we shouldn't have children before we're ready. Because having children before you're ready probably is worse than never having children at all. Um, but that that is a personal opinion. Um, but if and when we are ready, we should not delay. Because from personal experience, you can always find uh, another reason, another reason, another reason to delay, Uh, you know, six months here for holiday, six months there before, you know, let's move house and and, and get the the, the job or the promotion I want, two, three years can just go by really fast. And past mid thirties, two or three years can make a difference between having a baby and not having a baby naturally. Um, so my feeling is that whether you do have the uterus and with or don't have these illnesses, because you may not know you have them, is to just think about and plan, have a timeline in 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 your mind. You can always change your mind later, but have that timeline there so you know what you want to do with your lives. Um, so that if you do end up having difficulty um, falling pregnant, you'll find out. Very fast because you know what you want to do when you want to do it, rather than sort of leaving it until you're, you know, in your late thirties, early forties, and then start thinking about what you want to do. And then by that time, if you know, it takes us another two or three years to to find a reason um, that can be impacting on your fertility, like endometriosis or polyps, we're about two or three years behind already. Mm.
1: And how does age affect your egg count so i know you mentioned before that your mid-20s is kind of your peak fertility period but as you progress and you enter into your late 20s early 30s mid 30s how does your egg count um decline does it decline steadily rapidly or
0: not at all yeah that we don't know there's actually no rules um the everyone's body is different, and there are different factors that can affect uh, our egg quantity. So basically, the first is how many eggs were we born with, and the second is how fast are we losing eggs in our lives. And that's so determined by genetic and environmental factors. What we do know is that it, we do not lose egg number or quantity in a linear fashion. So that means that we don't so lose it at a, at a constant rate, which means that we can't really predict Uh, We know, you know, we can do tests for quantity of eggs at any point in time through, uh, uh, easily through a non-invasive blood test called the AMH or anti-malaria hormone. And that gives us a bit of an idea of the quantity of eggs, Um, but but we cannot predict from doing that blood test on how fast we're losing eggs. So we, we you know, if we do um, AMH throughout a woman's life, we, we see that it decreases not in a const, not at a constant rate. It doesn't even predict when we'll finish losing our eggs. So you know, intuitively, um, you would think that someone with a low egg quantity on the blood test AMH may have a higher risk of reaching menopause earlier because they have less eggs to lose. That's actually not true. Um, a low AMH does not uh, reliably predict early onset menopause and and so you know it's not a lot we can glimpse from a quantity um all we know is that the constant is that we continue to lose eggs throughout our lives until menopause right gosh
1: (laughs) this must be such a like full-on degree to study because it just sounds like you know everyone is so different and so like every person every woman is so different to the next person next to them it's incredibly fascinating
0: absolutely you really hit it on the nail um it's everyone is different. There is no recipe uh for this. Um you, you, the one size just definitely does not fit all. Um and, and this is the sad part, I think. You know, we don't talk about fertility often enough and you know, we don't realise how much variability there is amongst all women's, you know, some women want to have children, some women don't. Because we don't talk about it, there seems to be that expectation that all women should want to have kids, all women should want to have kids in their early twenty, uh late twenties to early thirties, or women, you know, you know, should you know, should not be should not be expecting to have a career and family at the same time. Just you know, that there, there is no right and wrong. People can choose to live their life the way that they want, I think.
1: Mm, absolutely Mm. that's why i think this conversation has been so important because i think where you have education you have less anxiety and less pressure and less need to worry about them absolutely so moving forward could you please recommend three reasons why it's important to
0: understand how fertility works yep so (laughs) the reasons um that this list could be as long or as short as you like okay ultimately i think that the reason uh, to understand how fertility works is so that you can have the ability to choose to live the life that you want to live you know you, you i think that we should all be able to make life plans based on accurate information but we can't make the right informed decision without accurate information to begin with um, if we can make informed decision about our fertility, uh, we are more likely to be able to live the life with no regrets or, or less regrets. Um, there's no right or wrong, as I said, in this kind of decision when it comes to fertility. You know, some women want children, some women don't. Um, it just it's whether we end up with children or not with children or wherever we end up what we want to do is in five to ten years time look back and not have regrets about the life that we've led so i think that in order for us to live that life we need information to begin with so we can make the right decisions for us moving forward
1: Absolutely. And also, I was wondering if you could recommend a motto or quote when it comes
0: to, to fertility that you live by.
1: Yeah. Is there something in mind?
0: <laughs> yeah, so I always tell my patients that I would like all of them to be fertility aware, okay? Um, so that to me is three main things. Uh, first of it's understand, explore, and plan. So understand means I want people to understand fertility. What is involved? What, what, does, what does being fertile actually means? Um, What affects fertility? Next step is to explore, explore your options, know what options are available to know what options you are willing to pursue, and then plan your life, have a timeline, have that fertility conversation with yourself earlier rather than later. Um, Because I think that later you leave that conversation, the harder that conversation does get. Mm,
1: Absolutely. Lastly, Alice, could you please share a little bit of information about your clinic that you run down in Melbourne and how we can all find you?
0: Uh, yes, so, uh, my clinic is um, in Collingwood. So I consult in my, from my own rooms in Collingwood and I also consult uh, or see patients in the CBD in the city. Um, you can either find me um, at my clinic um, or you can find me on social media. I'm not the most tech savvy doctor i'm afraid but um i am dabbling in social media at the moment so instagram i'm under dr alice huang also on facebook i've also started a youtube channel um it's called dr alice huang gigs stands for general infertility and gynecology snippets just little videos that i make of interesting topics so I'd appreciate if um your listeners um, can look me up and show support Absolutely.
1: I'll drop all the links to those sites in the show notes below if anyone is interested in following up and finding more information about Alice. But otherwise, I would like to extend a massive thank you to you for coming and chatting to us today. Uh, You have been so fascinating to hear from and I feel like I've learned so much in the very small period of time that we've had to um, chat about fertility. So thank you so much, Alice. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. I
1: really enjoyed this talk. so much for listening to this week's episode of the wow i hope you enjoyed my conversation with alice and found it insightful and educational we release new episodes every tuesday so make sure you subscribe and tune in next week otherwise come follow us on instagram at the wow underscore for more updates lastly just a friendly reminder before i go that the information shared in this podcast is general advice only and does not take into account your personal situational needs where appropriate please consult a health practitioner first thanks guys enjoy your week